Hello, and welcome to Sacred Scars, Stories of Religious Trauma and Healing. The space where we explore the intricate journey of healing from religious trauma. Before we delve into today's episode, we want to offer a brief disclosure. This podcast addresses sensitive and potentially activating topics related to religious trauma. We understand that uh, these conversations can be challenging and that the content may invoke strong emotions. It's important to prioritize your mental and emotional well-being. If you find that the discussions in this episode resonate deeply or stir difficult feelings, we encourage you to practice self-care. This might include taking a break, reaching out to a supportive friend or family member, or seeking professional help such as therapy or spiritual direction. Throughout our exploration of religious trauma and healing, our goal is to foster understanding, empathy, and growth. We believe in the power of shared stories and hope that together we can create a supportive community. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Now let's get started with today's episode on religious trauma and politics with my friend Catherine, whom I'll have introduce herself. Hi, I'm Catherine Newell Okoji. I am a ritual crafter, inner spiritual minister, speaker, and strategist for system change. <laughs> I have an MDiv from Union Theological Seminary, Columbia University. I have my own entrepreneurial ministry. Uh, so I don't work in a church. Um, I don't have a religion. So I'm excited to talk about religious trauma. Um, and everyone is welcome. It's I'm really expansive and open. And my ministry is rooted in liberation. So let's get free together. Yes, I like that. And what are your pronouns? My pronouns are she, her. And then um, what brings you to discuss religious trauma and politics? What doesn't (laughs) bring me here? It's everywhere. Our our world is saturated with it. I think a lot of people, like there's the religious trauma piece that I know we're going to deep dive in, but the politics piece, a lot of folks think, oh, that's like a certain vein to like volunteer or get paid or like work like in a campaign or in the legislature. But politics is just how we govern ourselves, how we live our lives. So religious trauma and politics, it it goes together perfectly. Really, it's just the trauma (laughs) that we've survived throughout our lives Um, at the intersection with religion, of course. But Politics, when you when you invited me on to talk about it, I was excited to talk about systems because these are systems of either liberation or oppression or control or communion. Um, our values are baked into these systems, especially in our country. We say we're the land of the free, and yet none of us can really get free and afford anything to even get free. Um, so when, when we talk about politics, at the intersection. This is about how we govern people. This is about how we relate to people, who we value, who we lift up, who's at the table, who's not, who's down the street, who's on the floor, who's kicked to the curb. All of that matters. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the systems, especially areas of like colonization, white supremacy, and stuff like that can have a pretty significant impact as to who's lifted up, who's not. And religion can sometimes intertwine with that. What are some of the systems areas that you kind of feel the most passionate about in our current politics? In our current politics, 
it's really hard for me. I'm just in general, a really hard person <laughs> to choose a lane. I can't even pick a ministerial lane. Um, so <laughs> it's really difficult to say, oh, it's one thing or the other, because I really care about reproductive justice and I really care about the environment. And if you don't see how those intertwine, <laughs> then we got a bigger conversation. Um, I really care about racial justice um, and liberation for all peoples, um, especially historically excluded peoples. And as a ritual crafter, a lot of what I do is decolonizing ritual practice. So I care a lot about indigenous populations and historical context and, of course, historical trauma with that. Um, but really understanding the land that we come from, the land that we're on, and the displacement of so many of us, especially in this country, <laughs> as a white woman growing up in the good old U.S. of A., it's really weird to, to like, you feel weird all the time. Well, I'll just say for me, I feel weird all the time, knowing that this land is not mine, knowing how we got here and what has been done so that um, life is carved out in a certain way for me to quote succeed. So getting in touch with my own indigeneity has been really, really important. So I don't really have a lanes. <laughs> See the, the 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 politics piece of it. I think when people look at one aspect or the other, everything is intertwined. And the moment I think, okay, we just got to focus on the education system, I forget about climate justice. And then we have then that leads to racial justice, of course, because white supremacy is really interlaced in that. And then you have economic justice and then let's destroy capitalism while we're at it. So it's really hard for me to pick a lane. And I think that I love that you're doing this podcast about religious trauma because to me, it's very political. My first career was in politics. I had started working on campaigns at the age of 12 and volunteered for a bunch of local and federal campaigns, got my first job um, at the state capitol in Colorado at 18, was chief of staff for a couple reps and a senator, and then I got a calling to be a minister <laughs> one day and went back to school, and I realized the more I studied religion and, and spirituality and just how to like govern people in a sacred way, these systems really mirror each other, unfortunately. So the more I studied one, the more it informed the other. And I thought I was leaving politics behind. Oh, gross. And then I find myself in you know, a church setting or even a hospital setting as a chaplain. And I was like, what? <laughs> Leave me alone. Get out of here. All these all the isms, you know, um, all the intersections. I thought, you know, people think that God and talking about God and theology is so different. And it's really not. It's just another way often to weaponize and to traumatize people. And only can we liberate ourselves and alchemize this through the level of consciousness and awareness that we have towards it. So the more aware, the better we are. But then that's the hard part because then you have the burden of knowledge. Now you can't go anywhere without seeing all these systems interlacing. Yeah. Yeah, what was the, what was it like making that shift and realizing a lot of those systems are very similar? Because I see a lot of those similarities myself as someone with both at MSW, for those who don't know what MSW is, it's a Master of Social Work, as well as um, having a Master of Divinity as well. But not a lot of folks see those similarities and systems between religion and politics. 
it's incredibly similar. Um, I learned a lot from Bill Hooks, um, who talks about, you know, liberation and, and real love and not just whitewashed love, I would say, um, but real liberatory love, real love when it's uncomfortable. And I feel like a lot of my experiences in churches have mirrored a lot of my experiences in politics where it's about, you know, the physicality, the, the aesthetics of like, who looks good. Um, the ministers that I know that I grew up with, it was all about, you know, perfect to the nines, like in a suit, that kind of thing, um, what it looked like and, and a success based and rooted in capitalism. Um, and that's, of course, a lot like politics. I mean, if you show up not on top of like not in a certain way, looking aesthetically a certain way in politics, you won't often get the votes, you won't often get respected or get a seat at the table. And it was just so shallow in many ways, to be honest. Um, and I will just say for listeners, people that don't know my background, that I was actually raised in the New Thought Movement. I am a fourth generation member of the New Thought Movement. And um, I grew up with religious science, which is one of the four veins of uh, New Thought in this country. So it's not just Christian churches that are doing this. Um, the movement that I grew up in is uniquely American. It is rooted in capitalism. It is based on success and manifestation and changing your mind, which would change your reality. And some of that is really powerful, but um, it's not real in a, in a lot of ways. Also, when you're dealing with people who are historically excluded, who you know start the race that the rest of us do you know, miles miles behind us? It's really unfair. So it doesn't take in a lot of systems and like the way that things are built and structured um, into account. So yeah, religious trauma is definitely definitely there, and the expectation of not only being a part of a church is one thing, being a minister and the training that we get is a whole other situation, and 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 gauntlet to navigate honestly and it wasn't until i went to seminary and spent time with people who did not look like me who did not practice my religion in the city of new york um really radical really just a contemplative time um, that i wrestled with a lot of stuff i went to i started seminary in 2014 right as the black lives matter movement really erupted and it taught me a lot real quick it was by far one of the most uncomfortable experiences of my life and one of the best because I really learned what matters and the aesthetics don't matter and power didn't look how I thought and I learned you know Walter Wink talks about this the not the power over or the power under but the power with and I learned that in a different way because I hadn't been taught that in politics I was ruthless and I didn't like who I was. I was too good at it. And so when I got the call from God to shift gears, I was like, well, this is different, but okay, I'll do this. And then I tried to do very many of the same things. And I remember my very first day um, in a hospital at NYU Medical Center as a chaplain. And I walked in and I tried to do politics again. And I was like, I'll just come in here and smile and make people feel better and it was this shock to my system that you cannot fake it chaplaincy really allowed me to get in touch with my vulnerability publicly which is just something we don't do in our society um, but if i was going to ask that of my patients then i certainly needed to embody it myself and not be a hypocrite so that was a major shift for me
Yeah, so it sounds like a big shift between the two is like authenticity. Huge. And I think we're seeing more people a little bit more authentic now in politics and in ministry. Um, but they're still getting so slammed. <laughs> you know, just every time I think about running for office, because people ask me to every week, all the time, my whole life, they're just like, you've got to do this. The system is so corrupt. How would I do this? I don't know. I don't know how I would survive. And a lot of people um, don't. And I saw my own mother go through it. Um, she was a senator for years. I helped her get elected. And I saw what it did. And it really changed who she was at, at, at the core level. When you give someone that level of power, it does shift who they are. And actually, I don't know if you know this, in the state of Colorado right now, we've had two or actually three legislators in the past year who have stepped down in different um pockets of the state because of the pressures of public office right now they tried to beat themselves they tried to raise their family they tried to just be authentically them they got targeted ruthlessly for just existing so the job has also morphed nowadays with like social media and doxing and all these things that are serious and scary and of course we don't pay them enough at least on the state level to really provide for a family yeah. But it's important to name that, that actually there are, I've seen more interesting, cool people from historically represented groups, you know, come to the Capitol, share their, share their gifts, and some stay, but a lot don't. We don't pay them what they're worth at all, and then we destroy them, and, and, and sometimes their families, and sometimes their private lives as well. Is it worth it? Just like ministry. <laughs> I think ministers right now are like, ooh, this is it's really hard out there. I just want to be myself. I want I want to be vulnerable. But we live in a world where our vulnerability is weaponized. And isn't that the root of religious trauma? That someone comes into a sacred space, craving healing, coming heart-centered, completely open, and someone inflicts that trauma on them. Yeah, it basically leaves you even more raw and tender because you were already open and did not have any defenses. Exactly. It's really quite cultish, I will say. And that's, I've been like really studying a lot of them lately. <laughs> the, the soulmate one, the, the wild, wild country one, the Osho one, um, Nexium one as well. And I have been shocked that a lot of these cults paradigms and ways of controlling, corralling, communing with people are utilized in a lot of our spiritual centers and it's, and, and also in our political centers and it's completely fine. Yeah. yeah. And that's the root of it. Like Bell Hooks has taught me a lot about just our culture of control and that it's okay to do that. It's okay to, to change people at that core level. And when they're vulnerable, I mean, what causes a person to walk into a random church? or synagogue or mosque or whatever, like usually they are struggling. Usually, at least in my life, <laughs> when I am like new in a town or I don't know what's up or what, and I just stumble in, I, I need it. I need a drink of water. I am parched, right? We need the spirit. We need faith. We, we need this. So these are like human needs and you walk into a space and you, if you are so broken down by whatever other trauma maybe you have dealt with and then this person, says, oh yeah, come in, follow me. I know the way. A lot of religious trauma is because someone says, oh, there's an equation to healing. 
I've got it. Pay me for it. Do exactly what I say for it. And isn't that being a citizen in the U.S.? <laughs> like, look at us. We, we aren't you free? Aren't you happy? Give us all your taxes. We'll just send it all over to the bombs on the Palestinian people. No big deal. The greatest gaslighting of all is the U.S. government. Exactly. Yeah, and I would cry if it wasn't. What was that? I'm going to laugh instead of cry on this podcast, I've decided, because I just chose that today. The Mayo Clinic has actually proven that uh, laughter can help relieve stress because it releases endorphins that helps release the stress and also provides more oxygen to the lungs, heart, and muscles. I love that. I completely agree. Laughter is literally the I love that you have the science to back it up, though, because I always felt like that. But thank you for adding the legitimacy to the. I love crying, too, but I feel like you'll have plenty of people on this podcast who will cry with you. Yes, yes. <laughs> but it it sounds like there's just like a lot there that you kind of like combine into th- your thought process between like religion and politics and the intertwining of the two especially like currently happening in a world today with like conflicts the u.s government bombing palestine well funding the bombing of palestine um cap like all of the halls of capitalism the fact that people cannot afford to live nowadays yes being gaslit and how there's a lot of similarities within how religion also gaslights their communities Often. I think that's why I've shifted away. Um, I am no longer part of the New Thought movement in in the same way. I have some of the tenets, but I've really given up quite a bit of the the dogma and the doctrine. I don't really follow books. People are always looking for a book. They're always looking for a written word of, of some kind to follow. That is a threat of white supremacy, if you have not heard that. Um, that stories can be told lessons can be told you know verbally and we store them in our bodies and my spirituality personally has completely transformed um in the past seven eight years um and going to the seminary was was a part of that i went in um thinking i knew a little bit about god <laughs> and a little bit about the community i grew up in and found out a lot of really horrible things and then i became a witch and really owned my witchcraft and that shifted a lot and I think a lot of people are like how can you be an inner spiritual minister (laughs) and a witch it's really not that different I believe in magic I follow the seasons um the times of the year you know I, I celebrate different things now that are rooted in my values I care about the earth in a different way um than I did it's not just consuming it it's really communing really taking this time with our planet to see it, to acknowledge it. It's not like um, environmental anything, it's eco-justice. And I think the shift into a more embodied way of seeing the world and inhabiting the world changed a lot for me. And that's why I do ritual because it's so embodied. You cannot be doing healing work, um, not embodied. We can talk all day about it, but until you you know, melt on the floor and you feel those tears until you scream out the rage 
um, and destroy something maybe and you know and you have to get out we have to alchemize with our bodies it's not this cerebral thing and that's a lot of the new thought that I grew up in it was all about changing your thoughts and then it would change your reality and honestly that was incredibly traumatizing for me and I didn't realize how traumatizing it was until my first semester at seminary and I just found myself like policing my thoughts all the time and it was just overwhelming honestly I just felt like I couldn't exist because I had quote negative thoughts about myself about the world things I didn't want to happen oh gosh I already thought it's already going to happen I can't put it back in the bottle what do I do and it became anxiety inducing and again it wasn't a freeing thing it was a controlling thing and so I try to focus on where I feel liberation and who I feel liberation around and what communities really see me and respect me and accept me for who I am. And a lot of the churches I grew up in um, say that they do that, but they really don't. It's really about changing who you are at a core fundamental level that something is wrong. And these are the, a lot of the people that say, oh, we don't believe in original sin. We don't believe in this doctrine. We don't believe in this Bible. And yet here is an equation to let you know that you're off the mark. And yeah. so we just repurpose this fairly traumatizing language and people think, oh, I, I'm, I don't, I'm good now. Like I, we cerebral, like get ourselves out of it. You know what I mean? Like we, we, we think that we're smarter than we are. It's our ego. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you found like a lot of like more spiritual depth in challenging a lot of those systems. Like Christianity in short, basically mostly functions on a culture of conquering, which is out of colonization. So things like challenging your thoughts, you're kind of like conquering some of those challenges, air quotes, um, as well as just like how colonization, how we got to the United States, how our society was formed. I apologize. I thought I had my phone on mute. Um, <laughs> But it sounds like you found a lot more like depth for yourself in challenging a lot of those systems and dismantling and decolonizing some of your thought processes. Huge. And that's that's why I love giving this gift to the people I work with, you know, as a um, as a coach, as a strategist, as, as a consultant that comes in. I, I work with people and I work with orgs to see what they're not seeing. Um, and that is the definition of a, of a shaman. It's just someone who sees in the dark. And I would never call myself a shaman, <laughs> but I just say FYI. Um, and please don't trust white people who do, please. Um, I say, like, uh, do you identify as being a shaman? If so, definitely not. Problematic. <laughs> nope. Um, but I studied a lot of it because I think there's a lot of healing qualities. And I've studied with a lot of indigenous healers from all different facets of um, like different continents, even around the world. Um, and practiced some rituals with them and just witnessed others and not participated um, and just learned from afar. So the decolonization piece is really important, the respect for other cultures and knowing like when it's yours and, and when not. But I do love the definition of a shaman because I think that it's not like I'm a one, it's, but it is a calling. It like reminds me of a piece of why I'm here is to see in the dark. And a lot of um, white supremacy culture, you know, and especially the new thought movement is all about the light and all about 
um, just lighting, like aren't you're like love and light, love and light. Aren't, aren't you so happy? We're just love and lighting everyone out here, and that's the goal. And I think there's something so powerful about focusing on the dark, and seeing when you can't see, and because that's the embodiment piece. Like, how do you survive? How do you get through um, those moments? And the dark is where the nutrients are. That's where it's like so juicy down there. So I love meeting people in those spaces and not giving them an equation like so many other churches. But with my coaching clients, I empower them to figure it out for themselves to chart their own path, wherever that may lead. I am not sure. It's often different than I ever think in the beginning of a coaching relationship to the end. I'm always like, oh, this is so different. And I'm so glad that's in alignment with who they are and not from me or anyone else telling them we are our own north stars and we really know in our soul where we're supposed to go next and it's so many of these like you said like the the deconditioning from the outside world and these systems that tell us we have to be a certain way um, do things a certain way look a certain way give a certain way love a certain way and really detangling that was huge for me and that is related to witchcraft for me personally because i got in touch with my own indigenous roots and I went back and I learned really where I'm from in Ireland and Scotland, like really what were my ancestors like, really what do they believe in? And so originally when you asked me to come on here and you were like, let's talk about religion and politics or religious trauma and politics. I thought, okay, let's talk about all the indigenous populations of people who were forced to lie or be killed because of their faith. And so I think about like the Native Americans many times, you know, the Spanish came through and they said, do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior? And someone said no, and they were killed. And so everyone else in line was like, okay, yeah, I'll do this. Okay, Jesus Christ is, is my personal savior then. I'll, I'll do that. That's what, what do you want me to say? I'll say anything to live. I don't even know what language I'm speaking, but you are requiring me to say this statement. Um, and then you look at like I, my own folks, my own Celtic, traditions, you know, when you, when you think about St. Patrick's Day, and we celebrate that in this country, like an Irish Heritage Day, give me a break. St. Patrick is a colonizer, and he was a murderer, and he, quote, drove out the snakes from Ireland, and there were no snakes. What he drove out were the witches, and he killed and destroyed witches and pagan communities who were leaning on each other, and strong women who knew their bodies and knew the power of the earth and the herbs to heal and to mend and and songs and stories and poems and spells and all of this was driven out so when you talk about religious trauma and politics it's these crucial moments that change an entire world that it's not one isolated incident because destroying witches in ireland is connected you know to hurting someone in the cheyenne nation here which is connected to what the catholic priests did they were the first people um if you studied the the history of uh white supremacy and really what we did in like the 1500s it was the priests who were the very first people writing down you know slave one slave two and this is what they cost and putting them on a ship they were the very first people it was religious people people that said i dedicate my life to god i serve god and what did they do instead they put innocent people on a ship and took away everything from them. And now I got to name it. 
I gotta name it. See, you can't talk about it in this country without the vast majority of Black Americans who are now Christian, who were colonized in that way and had to survive. And I studied with James Cone. I get it. I'm all about liberation theologies and all the different flavors that they come in. But it's really important to name that any kind of historically excluded person who is Christian or Catholic or who worship or even Muslim. I mean, look at like the large majority of the continent of Africa right now is practicing Islam. Let's talk about the trauma. Like you can't ignore that. You can still be part of that religion. I'm not trying to take that away from anyone, but it's crazy yeah. not to acknowledge that a yeah. lot of these people are practicing religions, these main religions in the world. And that is not their ancestry. That is not where they're from. And it really, for me, was so powerful to just pause everything that I've been taught in this country and go, wait, where am I from? I, I was seeking out Celtic healers and other witches and anyone who would teach me about where I came from. And it turned out, like I call it witchcraft, we call it whatever, I don't care the name. But this is the crux of it. It's like, how can you say that religious trauma is not completely interlaced with politics because it's all about how we govern and when every single nation is started based on usually religion and control of people yeah where do you go this this is our history and it's important that we own it and name it and that gives me freedom a lot of people are really scared of this i'm so glad you're doing this podcast because no one talks about it because it's very uncomfortable it's very uncomfortable and even within recent history with um the residential schools and like how the u.s government recently as of like last few years found hundreds of thousands of bodies of indigenous people like indigenous children at that buried at these schools where they were abused and killed by leaders often of the catholic church because oftentimes the catholic church were the organizers of these residential schools there are still residential school survivors who are alive to this day even. And a lot of people don't talk about that because it's uncomfortable. But it was actually a legal thing where children were forced to go to these schools. And indigenous parents that refused to allow their parent their children to go to these schools faced a lot of like legal repercussions as well as like were oftentimes abused by the US government and indigenous folks yeah. and their children were just kidnapped yeah yeah go ahead indigenous folks to this day still well, face... they were just taken what <laughs> uh, indigenous... <laughs> keep talking over each other still face a disproportionate amount of like missing and murdered and like women and children and non-binary individuals compared to other communities like the MMIW movement is a huge movement. I think it's actually the MMIW2S now in honor of two-spirit individuals. Um, but it's a significant movement and it's still a significant problem to this day that a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about because it requires them to challenge their own privileges and challenge their own colonization, their impacts on these systems, as well as it challenges their own faith oftentimes. Um, so like a lot of what you were saying kind of like brought up a lot of those feels for me. Absolutely. And I think that that's, I hope you have more people on that can talk about that because the trauma itself of religious trauma is one thing, but then you 
deal with like the violence of like their views of God and their views of their own self. But then there's that step, right? Of And not everyone takes it, but a lot of people do when they leave and they leave their community and they leave who they thought they were and they leave a lot of good feelings and a lot of good memories in some way or mostly good memories, maybe laced with some bad, like they look back and reflect differently. So there's just multiple layers of trauma. It's not just like the first time they were abused or something was said or something was controlled about their life or something. It was, it, it's, it's the day to day. It's the community that they're taking. Um, I mean, it's very similar to addicts. You know, they say like, get rid of all of your friends, your colleagues, your whatever, anyone connected to this former version of yourself, because you're going to like take a drink. You're going to take a hit of something in some way. It's similar to that. Some people don't do that. That's fine. They can still stay with their religion or they choose a different denomination or something. But a lot of people have to leave to literally save their soul. And I feel that so strongly. And I didn't think I would until I left my own faith um, in a bit of a similar way. Um, I haven't like severed ties with a bunch of people, but I don't feel comfortable in churches, in, in New Thought churches. And um, a lot of this came from me. I kept trying to make it work, kept trying to make it work in different ways, kept trying to attend services or different things. And it wasn't until I was a spiritual director myself of a New Thought church in Denver. And I tried to lift up many of the things we've talked about today. Uh, no one wanted to talk about that. I guarantee you that. <laughs> no, no, no. We can't talk about white supremacy. Um, yeah, I was told the white people pay the bills here. Can you shut up about racism? Um, you know, I wanted to to do different things for queer people and, and to celebrate pride a little bit differently. Oh no, do we have to really put on our sign that that we're like a, a rainbow church? Is that is that important? I was like, what? <laughs> These are really, really crucial conversations. And the pushback was really violent. And so much so that I just couldn't even stay a full year on staff. I had to exit for my own mental health, for my own well being. And so I really felt like I was kind of untethering for years. And this is just the final, you know, period on the end of that sentence. Um, but to leave something that's been in my family and through generations of women. The New Thought Movement is very feminine in many ways. It's been carried on from my great grandmother, my grandmother, my mother and father met in a religious science church. And then for me, I have called to ministry. I thought it was in this vein. So I know that I'm not Christian. I don't have that connection, but it's really horrible and disappointing and devastating when that moment comes where you look around and you think these are not my people. These are not people I want to be around or raise my children around. We do not have the same values and they are looking to actively harm me. They are looking out and I already knew that for myself, but when I was spiritual director, I had um, just gotten engaged to my now husband who's black and our children are black and just the amount of everyday racism and microaggressions that we experienced all of us. Um, astronomical astronomical it's just it's 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 an unsafe environment and so until these communities become safe i cannot bring my children there that's for sure i might have been able to, to deal with it a little bit myself and once i had kids i was like oh this is really where the line is 
because I cannot inflict this on the next generation. No way are we going to, are we going to do this? Are we going to indoctrinate our children, my black children in a more like white supremacist paradigms and ideas of perfection and success and what the standard of living is? Absolutely not. They should be as free as possible from the get go. I'm tired of us. <laughs> Of us like our society doing this to children it's really the never-ending just horrific violence and i just thank you so much for bringing up what has happened to just the native children on this continent um with all these unmarked graves and all these i mean each one is a life each one was birthed yeah it is just devastating to me when people just say oh just a number and it's like you don't understand that a person went through nine months of bringing that human onto the planet and then caring for them afterwards for years. And it just, the amount of intention and investment in each person and, and the amount of love, and then to just sever that with no disregard and, and no accountability. And a lot of these people who inflicted this, unfortunately are dead and we cannot go back and hold these priests accountable. That is a really hard thing. And I think what's shocking is like the Catholic church really, they'll, they'll say some decent stuff nowadays, like occasionally, but they won't go all the way. And you notice this in, in any kind of culture, you can see it in like Hollywood or, you know, politics or whatever, and people kind of name something, but they won't finish the sentence. They won't say like, I'm sorry. They'll say, I'm sorry, this happened to you. But that's not an apology. An apology is, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry people I came from did this. I'm, it'll never happen again. And as a white woman, that is really important for people like me to learn. And I've had to learn again and again and again. And I think a lot of like Republican or conservative folks are like, oh, we can't. Why are we apologizing for being white? And I'm not. I'm, but I am apologizing for the harm that's been done and the ways that I benefit. Um, it's completely unfair and unjust. So have no problem apologizing. I think the world will be a lot better place if we learn how to properly apologize to each other when harm was created. And the whole discussions of impact versus intent. Absolutely. There's a lot of the harms that are done the religious leaders who are leading that think that they're doing that in the word of God, i.e. the residential schools. Significant example, colonization in general, they thought they were like conquering the land for God and stuff like that. Like there is ways where you can uh, like take responsibility while also hold true to your own faith or whatever faith that you may feel now and have, and take that responsibility and apologize to those communities that you harmed as well as take whatever action needs to be taken such as like the US government and land back efforts would be a significant uh, shift for our communities here. Yeah. And to and to see that now with the Israeli government and the displacement this displacement and murdering of the Palestinian people is kind of crazy in 2024 to to witness what's happening um yeah. and to see it mirrored in our own country right there's so much about us in the in the u.s that is mirrored in what's going on right now um in israel and what they're doing and this idea we just said like this 
the idea like it's holy land, our land, our ownership of it. And um, Robert Warrior, who's a, who's a great uh, native scholar, he writes about this as well, like in the Hebrew Bible, this idea of like the ownership of land. Um, we can see it all the way to 2024. We can see what's happening to many indigenous people on that land and what's, what's really going on. I think it's kind of crazy. You said something about like apologizing and and I thought what's crazy to me is they're they're murdering people yeah, so I thought like if one child <laughs> like isn't that crazy though like here's the responsibility that was a bad <laughs> choice of words no 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 it's not you I'm saying that like you think that a priest a rabbi an imam whatever the moment one per one person died you think okay we're going to like take a quick pause and we're going to think, what are we not doing? Because murder is not okay in any of these religions. And yet they're doing it. Yeah. And there are zero hospitals now in Gaza. There's nowhere where they can get help yeah. and, and healing. How do they do that? How do they take, you know, bomb NICU babies who, who have only taken a few breaths on this planet and, and there's no chance for them. How do they, how do people do that and, and and sleep at night? Um, and it's because we're rooted in it. Our country was founded on genocide and slavery. We don't know anything different. And I think that I'm just so excited for you to have so many awesome like guests on this podcast from so many different paradigms because it's really interlaced in so many facets. And I think people think, okay, it's just in here, or it's just this sector or just that sector, or just this section of society or just these communities of people. It's everywhere. And when we value control and violence over connection and liberation, we've already lost. And we need to reread that text again, because it's really not, it's just not written in. Yeah. It's, yes, that's that. And the interesting part is that, the majority of the religions that are always in conflict over land are oftentimes the religions that are related to each other. So like Abrahamic religions and stuff like that. It's actually predominantly Abrahamic religions, to be honest, but. Which is interesting. Agree, unless you look, you know, even the moment you like think that it's okay though, that's what's crazy. Like then I look at like the new thought religion, which is just an American religion they are what they have done is kind of crazy in this country with capitalism with with racism with, I mean, i'm sure it's like really laced into our in our worldview and our paradigms um state by state i can see in colorado i've seen it in california and new york um but then even looking at like the buddhists who the buddhists i never thought the people that were like we don't kill anything not a grasshopper and they're yeah. like we're gonna just go murder people um that yeah. was that was crazy to to find that out as well. So yeah, so there's layers of, of groups on top of groups, but I agree with you about the Abrahamic religions for sure. And I think that that's the shocking thing. I actually told my daughter the other night, the history. I was like, did you know in the, in the early parts of the Hebrew Bible, they are all related? She was like, no. I was like, I'm gonna tell you a story. <laughs> They're all related. They come from the all same people. <laughs> there's It's really shocking how many people don't know that that they're all really connected though you're basically all siblings and maybe that's what was that siblings 
why can't we get back to that? See, you named it. Wow. Siblings. Why that? If we just have that paradigm shift of just, we're all siblings. I just don't understand why we couldn't get through it. I don't get that. It would challenge the entire wiring of our mindset of our culture and our society today, which would then yeah. challenge this thinking that a lot of people hold near and dear to their hearts. And it's hard to acknowledge the fact that their faith has been traumatic to other communities. Yeah. And I think that that's the sadness that it doesn't take away. It does transmute it, it does alchemize it. I think people are so afraid of change maybe and transformation. Yeah. I had this moment early on in the BLM movement. I sat with a one of my favorite mentors in the world, Tanya Williams, and um, crying, just crying, because people were, it was really erupting um, in our seminary. And we had like these dialogues, hundreds of people in a room, all different races, and people were just trying to figure it out. We were wrestling, just like the country was wrestling at that time, we were wrestling. And I just sat there shocked and crying and was like, I don't get it. And I just kept saying, you know, my, I just love, I'm just loving. And Tanya said, but what if I, when I get your love, I perceive it as harm. And it's okay. It's okay that that was a thing. It's okay that that happened. I think so many people can't fathom that their love is harm and they can't make that jump and go, okay, I'm gonna take a, a pause really quick before I keep harming you. We don't trust the other person's experience because we've dehumanized them at that point. But if we trusted them when they say, ouch, ouch, and I go, oh, okay, let me go get a Band-Aid instead of, let me twist the knife a little bit more because I said, I'm loving you, I'm loving you. Like, that's not really how we love, is it? Yeah, it's like a prolonged hug. <laughs> Trying to create with a, a death grip, maybe on the back, also, <laughs> and maybe yeah. a knife involved. I don't know. But it also reminds me of mission trips. Of oh. How people oh. Coming from someone who like has caused similar harms, and I will take accountability for that um having deconstructed a lot of those thinkings that i had back then but a lot of people will go overseas thinking that they're doing good of like i'm gonna help build a school i'm gonna teach a school in english even though these kids probably don't speak english but i'm gonna change the world kind of thing and they do it out of faith oftentimes we're just so disconnected. We can't see the sibling. We see it, it then it becomes like poverty porn at that, at that point. It's really, I, I went to Senegal my last year in seminary and learned a lot of different things from, we studied all the different religions. It's a really cool um, African country. If anyone gets to go, it's like a really awesome mix. Um, and we stayed at a place that had a mission trip there of like a bunch of white kids on uh, spring break. And so I had never done it, but I had just, just watching them feel like they were doing Christ's work by handing out bags of water. Um, and it's just, 
there's so much more. There's so much more context and they spent so much money to get there. And I just thought how much money could have gone to this? Just ask them what they want. Do they even want water? I think they have water. They have like the two cents for a bag of water. I think they might want a few other things. Did you ask them? And it's the not asking. It's the, it's the lack of consent. It's the, even in the giving, it's the control. Yeah. It... Yeah, it also reminds me of a time, just like the fact of like people being just like so oblivious reminds me of a time when I was younger where um, I can't even remember what grade I was or anything. It was like one of my school teachers created a video, like a DVD of like our class and like a whole bunch of things happening in our country and sent it to some random country in like Africa. They don't have a DVD player where they were at or the ability to play this DVD. So then I think they sent them like incredible DVD, but I can't remember what the full outcome of it was, but I just like remember like, what? <laughs> but like, it was just like completely oblivious and they're just like, we're learning about other cultures. We're learning all these things and we're like helping people learn about us. And yeah, it was interesting to say the least. It, that we just said, we're helping people learn about us. Yeah. Did they ask to learn about, like, are I we? I don't remember the full program. Maybe it was like some kind of pin pal program, but regardless, it was like, oh yeah, it was some kind of pin pal program and we were writing letters. So I don't know why they decided to do a DVD. That's so crazy. Yeah. Such a good point of like, we, we send over the thing and they don't even have the infrastructure. Um, and it's not because they don't have it. It's because we have stolen so much from their land, from their systems, from their, talk about politics, from their political system there even. Just learning that when I went to Senegal, I didn't even know this, but they got liberation um, in 1960. Most African nations were like end of 1950s, early 1960s. Finally, France was like, oh, I guess, it's kind of awkward. Like there's like a bunch of hippies in the street. We're going to let you do your own thing. And they just kind of backed away. Um, in some ways, they still have their claws in a lot of those nations that <laughs> win Western Africa. But it, it's kind of crazy to think about like my parents were alive. Like this is not something that happened years ago. Um, I mean, it was, but it's also not, it's just not removed like we think it is. Like like you guys, you sent a DVD, you know what I mean? Like it's not removed. It's, it, we're all very connected. And it's just kind of shocking to me that the, that globalism hasn't helped with that a little bit more. I um, think it's potentially because of the structures in place. So many folks get power and privilege out of continuing to rob the resources out of this continent, like out of the continent of Africa, yeah. like bringing water to them, like, they probably could have had their own water back before climate change and we robbed all of their natural resources. Yes, exactly. And just the devastation that we that we leave in our wake and, and that we don't know. I had to be in college. I had to be even out of grad school to learn some of this stuff. It is crazy that if we did not, like, it's just very shocking to me what I didn't know. Like I remember sitting with a colleague of mine from the UK in, in seminary and he was like, okay, so this is the history of Latin America. And I was like, what, what? 
we did what? No, say it again. And we did what in that country and that and that one over there too. And we, why were we in so many pots? Like get our hands out of these like whole on countries, not just one country. It was like every single country. And we wonder why we're in this mess today um, with, with Israel, but we're good at it. This is what we're pros at doing is creating bigger messes because it's all based on like this really horrible foundation and devastating and violent. I mean, we're standing on the bones of people that should have never, ever had their lives sacrificed. And so much knowledge, like when I think about so many indigenous communities that have been wiped out by disease or by displacement um, or boarding schools, it's really, really horrible. And then you add the part where they come in with the missionaries, you add that like layer as if it wasn't enough. It's like, let's convert you to this, this language and this God, and they lose so much. And so I just loved as an adult and as a minister supporting as many indigenous communities as possible in their evolution, in their livelihood, in reclaiming their spirituality, whatever that is. I listen way more <laughs> than I talk. Isn't that nice? It's not, it's really refreshing. We don't have to know everything. It's such a tenet of white supremacy of this like objectivity that there's like one truth out there. I love the different flavors of truth. I love getting to explore and connect. And I think that that is what I would empower people to do. Um, one of the questions I know on your thing that you were going to ask is like, what, what do we do to actually heal this? What are we actually going to do and evolve with this? And, and it's really shocking to me, and especially moving back to Colorado, to be honest, um, from the East Coast is the lack of white people that are actually in solidarity and in relationship with people of color or any kind of historically excluded group um they talk about them or they have like one black friend you know uh but it's really awkward that there's not this solidarity and i feel like that's definitely what's been missing in my this is a huge reason why i cannot go back to churches i don't feel the solidarity they don't actually care about me they don't care when i'm feeling horrible they don't care when i'm feeling even when i'm feeling great they just want to take credit for it it feels like like their their thinking got me to this reality i don't feel like a person like a holistic human being on this life and if I don't feel like that as a white woman in Colorado where I grew up, I can't imagine what it's like for folks of color um, and queer folks who just don't uh, get that on a day-to-day -day basis. The, the lack of, of real solidarity of saying, I'm gonna give up my seat for you because we're the same, like siblings, like you said, siblings, we're the same, we're connected, we're related. They say that, but they only want a picture on their website to show that it's okay for other people of color to come there. It's not, it's incredibly unsafe in most churches, especially in the state of Colorado for people of color to be here. And not only do that, I know that from my own point of view of being a spiritual director myself, of worrying about my own family of color entering the only spiritual space that I was actually leading, I was worried about them. I have a colleague from Union where I went to seminary from New York. She came out here, worked at a church in Highlands Ranch. There's a huge CPR article about it. She had to leave. She, her whole family was completely unsafe. And um, she was like, this is incredibly racist. I could not get around it, could not get over it. it. It's just everywhere. It's insidious and it's in the water. And granted it's everywhere in this country, 
but it does feel like some communities can name it and alchemize it and sit with it and others cannot. And I hope a lot of the spiritual leaders, just leaders in any sector who listen to this podcast can do that deep dive work. And if they need someone to do it with, call me, email me, reach out. I excel at this. I love this work and I'm not afraid of the conflict and to sit in this consternation. I'm not afraid of it. It's beautiful. It's zesty. It's good. I think so many people are so afraid of naming anything kind of negative at all, <laughs> like uncomfortable. Um, but that's where the goodness is. That's where the growth is. And if you really want to not cause harm, because I hear that, I hear a lot. Oh, I don't want to cause harm. Well, then stand with me, sit with me, like be with me. Don't use me. And we're so extraction based. We have forgotten true communion. We've forgotten. I mean, that's because we treat our earth that way also, but it's, I just really implore people to do that solidarity work. Um, and not cause it, you feel good and not because you're posting it really have really good relationships with people of color and really ask them, Oh, did I just totally screw that up? Do you know how many times when my friends of color and my, even my husband, I'm like, Oh, that was, was that racist? Was that kind of racist? Was that like, you got to tell me, like I check in all the time. I want that feedback. And when it happens, I'm not like, Oh no, no, I can't hear that. That was white supremacist. I say, I am sorry for what I did. <laughs> I take responsibility and I will change my actions and it won't happen again. These yeah. are very simple concepts. I thought we all learned in kindergarten. See, I thought we all learned, you know, to sit with our siblings, true solidarity. We're all in this mud together. We're going to hang out. We're going to change the world. And we're going to say sorry when we accidentally hurt someone. Yeah, because it's like, it's not even a matter of if, it's a matter of when, like, as a person with privilege, you are going to, at times, cause harm to other people, and it's not going to be intended most of the time, but it is still your responsibility to take that accountability for the harm that you have caused. And if someone is out there listening to me on this podcast and is like, Catherine, that girl, she totally screwed me over in like 1996. And she's out here talking, come reach out to me, <laughs> please. I want to make amends. I want to be a person, you know, in integrity and in alignment. And if I have harmed you in any way, I want to hear about it. I want to work through it. And it's not to, not necessarily, we can always just save the relationship because someone just aren't saving. It's not about saving or not saving for me, but it is about evolving. And I am unafraid of strangers or people that I know saying, ouch, you crossed that line. Because I say that to other people. I can't ask that of someone else if I'm not willing to do it myself. So if you are out there, I implore you. <laughs> if I have caused you religious trauma, especially, please let me know. Uh, maybe in my early days, who knows? You know, it, This is where we are in our evolution and someone might be listening at a totally different vantage point. And, um, and that's okay. And we were all once there. And also as people are listening and going, oh, she gets it. She has whatever. There's no equation again. There's no, I have made it. I am going to be anti-racist until the moment I take my last breath because I wake up every day and choose it. It is not a thing that is passive at all. It is completely active. I have to stay vigilant and empowered and active and really zoning in on who I really want to be. 
if I let it slip for a minute, that white supremacy, it is the strongest drug in the world. Privilege is, it tastes too good. It's too delicious, unfortunately. And we've been taught in our society, we whitewash so many things that I don't have to physically enslave people to, to get a certain way. I don't have to put them in boarding schools. I don't have to ship them around the world. I stand upon these bones. And knowing that changes how I stand. Um, I did go off to the off of my outline originally on accident, but uh, do you have a preference of someone contacting or you since you've mentioned to reach out? Yes, I have a website. It's katherinewell.com, K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-N-E-W-E-L-L.com. And you can email me on there, send me a message. I'm on all the socials. My socials are Minister of Love. So I'm on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, but you should have more grace with me on socials because I'm not on there like all the time. <laughs> um, and just have grace with me in general because I'll have grace with you about r- responding to emails. <laughs> um, but I but it matters when I will respond. <laughs> what? what you... It's not like you're a parent or anything. <laughs> just a parent of a, you know, a baby and a elementary schooler and, uh, yeah. Okay. And a person trying to make it out here, you know, this is ministry that, um, not a lot of people do, but, um, our generation and I think everyone, but especially our generation really needed ministry, you know, on the go, whenever they wanted it on a zoom call, on a phone call, on a walk. Um, I am, I am that person, so I can come to orgs and and do great org work with with great organizations that want to be aligned. And um, I, I help people with consulting stuff, like doing like retreats and um, just realigning their mission and like really actively doing it. A lot of people have mission statements, but they are confused about how to make that manifest, and um, they care about things like DEIJ, but they have no idea how to really embody that. So that's okay. We can learn together. I don't come with equations. I'm not coming with, this is how you do it or not. Same with my coaching clients. I don't do that either. Um, or the people I do ritual with. So however people want to contact me, let's make magic together. Um, I support you in your evolution. I'm not afraid of whatever mess you have. And this is the real shit. This is, this is it. This is why we're we're in it together. This is true solidarity, and um, I just, I love working with people who want to do the work. So that's I guess that was my only caveat. If you don't want to do the work, if you just want to say that you worked with me and that you are now woke or whatever, I don't want to work with you. But if you really want to stand in solidarity with me and you really want to do the work and you really want to change your life and change the world around you and really love deeper and love in a way that doesn't harm people or if it does you can easily say ouch and move on instead of like literally siphoning off relationships um i'm into that that's that's my jam is is true solidarity and also creating the next generation that doesn't have all this religious trauma and that we have a political system whatever that looks like whatever country we are a part of that is aligned with our values so much of what i do is i help leaders think about their values and really act on them because we're doing things 
and to this day i have to stop myself all the time in in mid wait what i don't actually value this wait why am i doing this why do i care and and really just stopping real quick and just pausing and going oh actually i do i do value this okay let's keep going or wait a minute i'm on the wrong track real quick i need to reevaluate and and switch gears totally fine but i hope see that the people who listen to this just really are committed to not recreating trauma. It's it's so hard to heal from religious trauma and political trauma. And then the fact they're so intertwined, it is to the core of who a person is. And the amount of lives that have been lost, um, you just think about the 22 veterans completing suicide every day. You think about like all the kiddos now who are just choosing to exit this planet. Um, it's really devastating. And that's just one avenue I mean, these are not like hypothetical words that we're talking about. These are not things that happened in the past. These are epidemics that are occurring in our society and in our neighborhoods, literally next door right now. And this is an opportunity to change. It's an opportunity to evolve on purpose with purpose. So I invite folks that want to do that to reach out to me and to keep listening to this podcast and to do your healing work, whatever that is, whether it's working with me or C or someone else, like please do the work because healing is always worth it. It will never, you'll never go, oh, I shouldn't have done that year of therapy. That was just such a waste. I just don't know anyone who's ever said that, ever. Yeah. <laughs> it will change your life. Yeah. It will. You know, the therapist in me is coming out, but um... <laughs> I like to close on a note of like self-care and soul care. So how do you define self-care and soul also are like spiritual care and how do you practice it? Hmm. I don't really practice self-care a lot anymore because I have been like really rooted in because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a parent. Yes, but also because <laughs> I'm much more into community care. Um, it's very difficult, but um, I, I try to really lean on my community a lot more and ask for what I need, which is so hard and so vulnerable and so uncomfortable. And it sucks when people don't show up. And I've had that happen definitely a few times um, this year, for sure. It's been very hard, but it's better because we're in community and it's not all on me to care for myself. It's yeah. on us. To, it's on like us to care for us. So when you say like soul care, I love that because I feel, you know, very siblings, like we're connect, like the souls are connected. Yeah. Um, so caring for my soul, for me, I do have like a list. I worked on it with my therapist. <laughs> so there are a few things that I personally do. I'm a ritualist. So everything has to be embodied. Um, and everything has to be magical <laughs> in my life. So it's got to feel good. And it can be a simple thing as just a walk. I love natural anything. So getting in nature, whether that's like a full on hike or whether that's just getting outside in the fresh air because too much time indoors. Oh, it's really hard for me. I'm not my best self. I just can't see beyond these walls sometimes and I really need to just get out. Um, I am a singer, so I love to sing. It just gets whatever I'm feeling out. Like if I'm really mad, I sing a really angry, feisty song. And if I'm sad, I cry it out and ask God why and, um, and just make meaning through it all. 
And uh, sometimes I will sing and walk. Sometimes I will sing and write. I'm a writer. So I'm working on my first book right now. And so writing is a huge tool. And I use this with every single coaching client. If you're a coaching client of mine, <laughs> I'm going to tell you to journal um, because we are so wise. And there's something about journaling that I just love in the moment, but I really love journaling to look back on and I keep them. So I do, sometimes there's a ritual, you know, where you'll like write something and you'll burn it, but I never do that like with my journal stuff because I'm very like daytime location with it because I also love astrology and there's nothing better than reading like a new, something's coming up, like Pluto's now shifting, right? We're going into um, Aquarius and it has been since 2008 in Capricorn. So it's a huge shift and Pluto's the, the um, planet of transformation. Well, I wanted to know what was going on in 08 in my life. Where was my paradigm? Where was I feeling it? What was really going on? That was the year my mother got elected to Senate. That was the year Barack Obama was our president um, and many other things. And that was the year that the DNC came to Denver and shook up the entire town. And um, that's just the political stuff, <laughs> let alone every everything else. So I love journaling for that because I always feel better about myself after like, oh, I'm not there. I have moved beyond that <laughs> the thing. I had no idea how to traverse. I got through it. Um, I think there's something really beautiful about evidence. And that's um, like the evidence of growth, the evidence that we're not in the same spot anymore, the evidence of healing, um, the evidence of just moving on, whatever that is, that I'm, I'm just, that we're always growing. Even if we say we're not, we are always there's some kind of movement somewhere, somewhere. So soul care is movement care to me. Move my body, move my voice, move my pen and paper, ritualize it and make meaning. I tell people all the time, the difference between a ritual and a routine is intention. So go throughout your day, even if you're brushing your teeth and you are saying a prayer or you're casting a spell or you're doing your dishes and you're singing you know, a lullaby to yourself for a little self-love. Or you're so mad, you gotta get stuff out of your body and you're just gonna punch your pillow like crazy and scream. Whatever it is, just get it out of your body and, and alchemize it. If not, then it becomes religious trauma, <laughs> right? Then we inflict it on other people. And then we inflict it on God and ourselves. I don't know how many moments I've cried out to God and questioned God and questioned myself and my worth. And we're so connected in that. We're just, it's for me, my belief is like spirit is just everything. It's like every molecule, every quark, yeah. every atom. So it's as close as the next breath. Yeah. So I encourage people to do, I like that soul care. I want to think more about that. See, learned that in one of my seminary classes. Yeah. Thank you. So I think what, yeah, I think that's what ritual is. I think that's the difference between self-care. It feels self-care is like paying your bills or, you know, going to therapy and these are good things, but sometimes the soul care is a little bit more grace and a little bit more tender and it should be less work. Actually. I think soul care should be a little tiny bit of work, like a step forward, but not, you shouldn't have to get in your car kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. It's more uh, intentional. Absolutely. 
and magical. There's nothing like that. Like even just taking five minutes and writing in my journal or taking a walk briefly. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm back in my body. I know who I am. I'm not some like product of the patriarchy or agent of capitalism. I am a Catherine and I'm okay. And we're going to breathe and tomorrow's going to be better. Or if it's worse, I'll know how to handle it at least. Yeah. Nice. Sounds like some good care. Yes. I'm going to end our recording there. Is there any last things you'd like to say about our discussion today? No, I'm just grateful for this space. I'm grateful for this consciousness raising and grateful for your ministry in the world. And I know that you have an MSW, but you also have an MDiv. And I believe that everyone is a minister in their own right. And um, I love that you're honoring the call to do this and that you're using, you're literally alchemizing your own trauma and helping so many people heal. And that is, we can ask for nothing more, right? That is our call, I believe. So thank you so much for honoring your call. And I hope that everyone listening is somewhat blessed in some way by this conversation, even though it might be hard. I hope it's, um, you know, maybe just a churning of the soil, maybe just getting some of the nutrients just shifting around. So thanks for this space. See this really, it's important, right? To, for a good ritual, you gotta have a good space. So thanks for creating it. No problem. I am hoping to kind of see this as like a virtual ministry for those who may need it. Yeah. So I pray that too.